Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Welcome to round 12 of TKO and Joe together with 32 Red. As you see, we're at Rotunda in Liverpool to meet one of the biggest and one of the nicest men in British boxing, I would yeah. say. Yeah, funny big guy as well. David Price, nice guy. Um, quality amateur, wasn't he? Quality amateur, um, Olympic medalist, um, and destined for greatness in the pro game, mm. but it just didn't work out for him. But He's still there, and uh, he's hoping to pick up some major titles and still we are. before he hangs Yeah, on. exactly, and we're here today to talk to the big man, David Price. Should we go and meet him? Let's do Let's it. Do it. Let's have a look. Congrats on your latest win. Yeah, thanks. Bike, bike marks have gone down and everything? Just about, apart from the ones off me missus. She will have that. Um, That's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, the sort of post 11 pm podcast yeah. that. Um, oh, it's all, all, all gone. It's gone after a couple of days, just, just a uh, slight bit of bruising. Just a weird, a weird yeah, ending to a fight yeah. and a weird fight itself, mm. really. It was, it was a bit of an odd night, to be honest, because. Um, Craig Glover out of our stable lost a couple of hours earlier for the first time. That it's was a pay show who you beat, right? Yeah, so it was a big, it was a big shock and um, it's just a bit of a bit of a mad night all round. So obviously, when I got in the ring, I could see the bit a bit of craziness about Cash Alley in his eyes and in his face. We think he might have had too much pre-workout or something, or not, not even joking. So he was fired up and. Although the press conference was a bit lively, by this time I was nice and calm and cool and, and um, I'm just ready to, to box through instructions really and um, obviously felt the bike going in the second or third and told the ref he didn't see it and then and then obviously when he broke me tapped me to the floor it was obvious to everyone and um, yeah it was just just bizarre but not, not for the first time as I was telling Carl before I'd, I'd been bitten before in the boxing ring when I was an amateur of a Turkish gentleman and uh, well not a gentleman, a Turkish <laughs> fella in a, in a Croatia in the European Championship. So, 2004, last round, beating him easy. So, he decided he'd take a chunk out of me. Mm. So, I must, uh, I must have a, a nice bit of a tasty salt coming out of me. I, I get bit, flesh. I get bit mm. when I was a kid in a club show. Um, and it was the guy who bit me, it was his club show. I'm not saying names or where it was, but so he sunk his teeth into my bicep. I was a kid, I think it was 11 or 12, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, like, shouting out in pain, the referee gave me a public warning for opening <laughs> Couldn't make it up. You still had baby teeth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't come out yet. <laughs> also, you've got to make, you've got to bite pretty hard to put a dent in skin when you've got a gum shield on as well, haven't you? I think so, yeah, but I'm thinking maybe you could actually pierce the skin once you've got a grip, you know, because you've got your bottom teeth are exposed. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to... Can we get a dentist in to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to clarify? Yeah, it's not the show's not that scientific, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so who knows? But yeah, he, he's, had, he's had a good nod, that's for sure, and that's why, uh, you know, we, we complained against the referee and then it was obvious what had happened. So, yeah, it was mad. But what it did do, one way or another, it got my name back out there. Mm. Because I think if it had just beaten him normally, it wouldn't have just known a battered an eyelid. But uh, because of what he'd done, you know, I was on I was on Russia today, I think, the next day. Oh, really? I was in Russia. So then I called Vladimir Klitschko up because 
I'm big in Russia, you know, I might get to the Klitsch Cup right fight. <laughs> yeah, he's trying. <laughs> I didn't really. I got interviewed, though, with Klitsch comes back to want to fight him. And I said, well, if he wants an easy fight, yeah. you know, get on the phone. Yeah. Right, the rumours that he was talking to, to the zone a couple of months ago, or even, yeah, even yeah. a month ago. Yeah. And obviously Joshua's looking for an opponent now. And, yeah. I mean, the, the, the last week's been mad. And, of mm. course, you were due to fly out to spar Jarrell Miller. Yeah, I was this, this, um, this Monday. Um, I'm obviously glad I didn't because I was going over there to, to test myself really to try and see where I stand with that type of level of boxer, you know, because because before I knew he was juicing, I rated him highly, especially the engine he had on him, but that's all, all explained now, yeah. why, isn't it? Um, so I thought I'll go over and test myself and hopefully come away with some, some confidence from it to carry forward and the reality of it is I wouldn't have come away with any confidence I would have just come away a bit of, bit of a beaten man because you know if he's if he's juiced up to the nines like that he don't really stand a chance um, so I'm glad I'm glad he, 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 the test came out before I went What was your reaction to that? It's just horrible it's, <clears> it's <throat> not it's not really a surprise anymore is it? It's, it just seems to be happening more often in this game where, where people are juicing and I think it's probably a bit more rife than we like to believe. Um, mm. But yeah, you look back and hindsight, like he always had a big engine, but he's a big fat lad, you know. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that, that doesn't make sense. That many punches yeah, above yeah. the heavyweight average yeah, yeah. at 320 pounds. I mean, you know, I'm guessing how much more sluggish you felt when you were sort of 280 oh, yeah. in the ring, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to what you're fighting around at 250. Yeah, yeah. So imagine another 40 pounds on top of that and then yeah. having that out. Just makes everything pounds. more difficult. It makes everything more difficult. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy, and, and you're saying it, it doesn't surprise us anymore. Mm. But, but I was surprised with that because of how much he had at stake financially, yeah. life-changing amounts of money. I, 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 I get surprised, like, you know, if someone is going to risk losing maybe 50 grand by getting caught cheating on $7 million or whatever they're talking, that's just, that's just insane. But he's probably a proper, a proper team of people around him trying to... The thing is, has he, has he been on for the previous five or six fights and not well, been caught and then single like, continue to You'd have to, to assume so, wouldn't you? And I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. The, the problem you got is, and this is, this is what happened to Dwayne Chambers, when he got caught, he held his hands up and said, okay, this is what I took, this is how, how long I've been taking yeah, it for. Yeah. And they took away all of his medals in that time, all of the prize money that he won. So he was essentially bankrupt and medalless for all of the time that he said he was on stuff. For fighters, there's no impetus to do that because Essentially, every drug has a half-life. So if you test positive for something, and we know that that has a half-life of 10 days, the furthest back we can guarantee that we know you took it was 10 days ago. Okay. If you don't tell me, six months ago I started taking yeah. this, I can't backdate your there's back. No way. There's no yeah. way. So there's no imperative for fighters, if they get caught, to actually come clean and say. You're not going to get honesty from a, a cheat, no, really. No. Dwayne Chambers, I think, is a, is a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So when it's happened... The frustrating thing for me again is is seeing the um, the backlash about it all, because logically I've lost to two people who failed drug tests after fights. So now I'm seeing, and I've seen it when Deontay Wilder was going out to fight Pavekin. Pavekin failed a test before the fight. The fight didn't happen. Jarrell uh, Miller failed a test before fighting Andy Joshua. The fight didn't happen. Mm. In my instances, drug tests were failed after the fight. Yet the results stood when really. It should be as though the fight didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it does frustrate me. And, and I know I'd have four losses on my record instead of six. And, and I'm saying to myself, it's all right, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just a number. But still, 
it's 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 what's right, I think. Yeah. Um, but the rule the rule got changed because I made that much of a fuss about it. But it's just brought it home again a little bit. You know, it's just total total nonsense to to keep a result when someone's cheated, uh, as though you know. Yeah, because because te- Tepper they vacated the the belt, so ultimately they admitted that that. It he wasn't was, a valid result, but the, but the victory he was, he was stripped of the belt, but the victory, but the result stood, and it was like doesn't make any I, sense. I, 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 crazy, you know. Yeah. And um, you go on box ref now; it doesn't even have that that bit of information underneath the fight mm. anymore. I don't think it's just as though yeah. the fight, the fight, just the fight. When really it should have been as though it was a sparring session in the gym. Yeah, agree completely, hundred percent. The problem is here, right? Is that when uh, a promoter hires a, a testing authority to to deal with a fight? That testing authority, if they report any adverse findings, they report to the promoter. It's up to the promoter whether they then report those findings. Yeah. So if you go and box in Russia against Povetkin and he does fail the test and his provo- promoter decides mm. not to disclose it, mm. you could be boxing against a, a drugged-up fighter. He could beat you, and that could never be disclosed mm. to, to the That's general public. Terrible rule. I've never heard of it. That's what did happen with Tepper, because they tried to cover it up until some Finnish newspaper who... Um, they, they give him a ban, the German boxing authority, but they didn't publicise it. So we pulled out of his fight with Robert Elenius with an injury, but some Finnish journalist dug a little bit deeper and was like, no, he's not injured, he's banned because he failed that drug test. And that was why there was even more of a scandal. It was, it was a right mess. And I didn't find out till like three months or five months after the fight. And I was lucky to find out at all, really. Why does a promoter have to employ... Um anti-doping agencies why is it not done by a governing body and and more strict and more constant like i i have to sign up constantly to whereabouts for ucad mm. i have to tell them where i am every day of the year mm. if i change my whereabouts i have to text them or update it on the app and so i don't understand why why in these big fights anthony joshua against Jarrell miller does eddie hearn have to have to get a an anti-doping agency in. Mm. Doesn't make sense. Should be the uh, governing body, you think? Yeah. 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 Certainly in the States, it's a bigger problem as well because every jurisdiction, uh, athletic yeah, state yeah. commission has a different set of rules. Mm. Um, so that makes it a lot harder to track. And of course, yeah. the cost implications of it are huge. And when you've mm. got a country as, as big as the United States with as many fighters, mm. you know, the cost to test each fighter yeah, when you've got that many, it's just impossible to keep, done, keep track of everybody. So it's easier to evade that system. Um, your career, of course, in... You know, when, when you actually break it down, as you say, you, the first derailment of your career against Tony Thompson, he was a drugs cheat. Mm. And that was the first thing that kind of sent your career off track. Because people forget, you, you know, he had a real meteoric rise. You you smashed through the yeah. British ranks, British and Commonwealth champion with, with ease, really. Yeah. Um, and that was the first guy that you came unstuck against. When did you become aware that he had first failed? Well, it was the second fight with Tony Thompson that, that he, he failed the test. The first fight... He, he, he just got lucky. He wasn't even in shape. He only had to stay on my feet a few rounds and I got caught, whatever. But took the second fight. Um, before the first fight, there was a problem with his blood pressure. And it, they were talking about bringing Lucas Brown in to replace him the week before. Um, but obviously, he got passed, come in and fought, got tested clean. Then I, um, after the second fight, he beat me and then for months after, not, and actually it took me two years, and then two years later, it turns out that he'd, he'd um, failed on a, on a masking agent, but which was a blood pressure drug. Mm. Um, so obviously the blood pressure thing was there, but 
my issue was, it, I didn't find out for two years because he appealed with UCAD and it had to be kept confidential. My issue was, why did he change from uh, high blood pressure uh, drug, which weren't a masking agent four months earlier, to an older, oh, yeah. cheaper drug that was a masking agent? It stunk a little bit mm. to me. Mm. Um, and, and, I mean, I had never proved that he was on a, B or C, but he was on a masking agent and that's why he got a ban. Um, Did he feel different fighting him the second time? Did he feel stronger, fitter? Oh, yeah, he, but yeah, he was definitely in well better shape for the second fight, well better shape. And um, I had him down in the second round um, and his eyes rolled to the back of his head. He somehow got up and he, he was one of them. He, 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 he stopped me in the fifth round. I was exhausted anyway, um, for whatever reason. And then he just felt like he was just going to go all night and it was quite a quite a... A, a hot pace as well in there. It was a, it was a it was a high, high pace fight, and he was forty two as well. Remember? Yeah. Just didn't add up for me. Um, and he got this this other trainer involved. I mean, you, you, I could never really prove if he was on anything performance and answer, but the masking agent thing stunk. So I'm just going to assume he was. You know. Mm. It's a difficult thing, obviously, for your career. You and Amir Khan had kind of similar things happen to you where you'd, you'd blitz through domestic level, come unstuck against somebody that really probably most of the public had overlooked and just assumed that you would, you would do yeah, the business yeah. against. The difference being with, with Khan, he you know, didn't even consider or entertain you know, rematching Breeders Prescott. Mm. You went straight back in yeah, with Tony Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Do you regret that in hindsight? Yeah, yeah massively, yeah, yeah. And it weren't what my team wanted about me, my trainer at the time, Franny Smith, wanted me to defend my British title again um, against Martin Rogan. And I would, have, I would have had the British title outright then. But I had this itch that I needed to scratch because of how, how I felt. I could, I could have beaten Tony Thompson easily. And I was kind of feeling like I'd fall too far behind. Because at the time, there was myself, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Mm. And the word was, was that Deontay Wilder was going to get Tony Thompson. And I, and I was like, he's just going to knock him out. It's going to make me look even mm. worse. I need to get I need to get him. So we had to stop him from fighting him by uh, thinking the rematch clause. And, and yet I regret it. Definitely regret it because... Um, the second defeat was, was, was worse for me to deal with than the first one. But I think at that time, any, any type of defeat, I think it was a bit emotionally fragile and I struggled to recover from defeat. Then defeats, um, for quite some time in, in my mind, just, just struggled to, to re, re-find where, where I was before that. So yeah, it, it's, it's a regret that I do have. Do you remember the, the hype around Big Pricey when he was on the, on yeah. the up and then the shock? of those two defeats. Can you, can you remember those and remember what you yeah, said? Yeah, I do remember, remember the hype the whole way from the Olympics, really, and he's a, he's a man mountain, a giant of a man, and he knocks people out and puts them to sleep, and, um, you know, probably being a boxing fan, just completely, like a lot of other fans, would have just overlooked Tony Thompson. Yeah. Pricey's going to run through him here, mm. no sweat, and then... It didn't. It didn't work out. Mm. Every, everyone's it. Everyone's it. Frank mm. Maloney come in the changing rooms before the fight, the first fight, and just said, "As soon as you hit him, he's going to fall over." And and that that was the kind of belief around me at this point. It was mm. like it was growing with every fight, mm. and I was guilty of it myself. As that, and I even done it in the Olympics. So I thought I'm going to have to reverse the camera with the right hand, and, and because it was knocking everyone out. So I should have really learned from that, really. 
when I was a pro ball, I didn't. And here we are. It's not mm. good to have people around you as well saying things like that. No. I think, and, and I've learned as well, that you can't over... You can't underestimate opponents, anyone. Mm. Um, you could potentially fall short. So no. if, if everyone you're listening to is saying, as soon as you land on this big lad, yeah, it's, it's no. game over. No. And then when you land and it's not over, you're I starting mean, to think, what's going on? No, at the time, that was probably what I wanted to hear. You know, but... In, in hindsight, it was, it was the wrong, it was the wrong information. But that wasn't the reason I lost the fight. It was just, a, just a few different things, you know. Mm. So you and Tyson Fury at that point were on a kind of collision course, and he vacated yeah. the British, and you beat Sam Sexton. Yeah. Did you feel? I mean, you you beat him in the amateurs. I know it was, it was early days in his career, yeah, yeah. but you always had that over him, and there was a little bit of bitterness from him certainly towards you because of that. Do you feel he may be? By vacating and not boxing, you was just swerving it and trying to trying to build it to yeah. something bigger later down the yeah, line. Definitely, definitely. And I and I knew that at the time, but again, the people at Army were like, you know, play up on him vacating because he had had a lot to say at this point, Tyson. So I thought, well, I will, yeah. I, will I will make a big deal out of him avoiding the fight. Um, and looking back, it was probably at that time was probably my best chance to beat him um, because he was still a bit heavy and sluggish and wanted to brawl a little bit and that it would have been easier to hit and then as time's gone on he's become what he's become so it was probably my chance really to, to, to beat him and, um, but yeah he, he was looking at the bigger picture I think him and his team What do you think of the interview he done when he got stuck into you and Tony? One of my best, yeah, my best mate did that interview. Did he, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, it's isn't hilarious. it? <laughs> it's hilarious. It's he, did, he handled it's it so well. Maloney it's as well. It's comedy yeah. gold, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the funniest thing about it at that time is, is I don't think he was trying to be funny that no, night. No. He was trying to be nasty, but, yeah. but he had that blue cap on oh, side. So funny, so funny. Yeah. Um, and at the time, at the time though, it was a little bit like, are you saying that that about me? You know, my kids might see that. And but, but as time has gone on, you'll look back and I just laugh at, at most of it really. Yeah. Know? And Belly, you obviously a good mate of yours for for many a year. Yeah. Um, it's gone on to kind of achieve things beyond probably his wildest dreams. And I remember you said. He, you know, there was a, a point where he actually predicted all the things that were to come. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I was sat, I was sat in his, um, in his house having a cup of tea about four years ago, and he, he, he did say to me, "I'm going to win a world title, a cruiserweight." At this point, he hadn't even won the European title, and he said, "And then I'm going to call David Day out and, and fight David Day." But obviously, he didn't mention what come after the first David Day fight. But he, he, it, it was um, it's something that's always stuck in my mind. How it all came to fruition—it was amazing. You know, mm. it, it worked. It, a man with a plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, Hay was something else in those years as well. Of course, he was more like cruiserweight in in sort of the early years, moved up to heavyweight, and I think you you sparred him before the Klitschko fights. Yeah, I signed with David Hay and, and Adam Buda when I first turned professional. Yeah, um, so I've done loads and loads of training with him, and uh, you know, I was always a big fan of his. Um, sparred a lot with him. Gained a lot of confidence from the sparring I was doing, and he always he always believed in me, David. He always talked well of me, and I I've spoke to him yeah. about you Have as you? well, and yeah. he, and he, he like what you're saying there, he believes in you. He, yeah. he's, he's he's told me that you're the you're the hardest like serious part, and we all know what like, but yeah. he says you're the hardest punch. He really, he's, yeah, he's sparred. Yeah. He's been yeah. with some big guys. Like, yeah, so that, that's interesting, and it's nice to know, and you know, um, I'll always even though even when he was fighting Bellew, although I wanted Bellew to win. You know, I didn't want to see David A coming under any type of arm or not because I've always had a lot of time for him, you know. 
Mm. It's good to see you still involved with uh, with Derek management yeah. now, isn't he? You're listening to TKO on Joe with me, Chris Lloyd, and Carl Frampton. We're a podcast and YouTube show, and we'll be with you every Thursday. Now, though, here's Russell Kane with news from something else on Joe. Thanks, Chris. I'm Russell Kane. Please subscribe to my podcast, Boys Don't Cry. It's fascinating. Much needed. It's not men in cardigans talking about their feelings, and it's not men talking about boobs and football. It's men being provoked into honestly talking about the things you wish they'd talk about, ladies. So lads, listening for the awkwardness. Ladies, listening with nosiness. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, I'm not Nick Grimshaw. Cheers, Russell. Welcome back to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red. Our guest this week is the former British and Commonwealth champion, David Price. Um, about a year ago, there was all the talk of the kind of sparring story that came out with, with you and Joshua. What, what happened on that day? Um, I, I went up to Sheffield to, to do some sparring. I had a 10-round fight, my first 10-round fight. It was a Commonwealth title eliminator. And, um, I went up on the Friday and I think on the Sunday because I was still in touch with the, the trainers up there, Paul Wormsley, and I was mixing the sparring in with Fraser and uh, with Joshua and <coughs> a, a pro heavyweight called Lee Swaby. And I think it was later on in the sparring, it was my first 10-round spar I'd ever done. Uh, so I was a novice pro, but he was obviously... A, a, well, he was an ABA champion, I think, or something. Hmm. But you could see he was good, you know. Um, and, I, and I hit him with the right hands, and, and, he, and he fell over onto like to his front type of thing and Paul Wormsley jumped in and and I, was, and I don't really like talking about it now because it's a bit it's a bit you know there was a time when I did mention it when I thought it might get me the fight and that was the only time I was ever going to publicly mention it but now the cat's out the bag if I get asked about it I'll talk about it but um, for years people were asking me did you? and I was like no no I denied it um, and then when he was due to fight in Manchester at the end of 2016, I, w- I was ranked with the IBF, and there was talk that they were going to speak to us about making the fight, so I thought, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag now to try and let the public at least see that he can be here type yeah. of thing, and there's a story behind it, and, and I did so. Um, and obviously didn't get the fight, <laughs> but it's, you know, I had to try. If ever there was a time to mention it, it was then, and... Um, yeah, that, that's basically it, really. That's, that's all that happened. Because that, that code of conduct about not talking about sparring is... Uh, it's just like a gentlemanly agreement among fighters, isn't it, really? Yeah. And you're kind of seen as... A little bit like with the Coley putting the Dylan White clip out a couple of weeks ago, you're seen as breaking that code if you do talk about it. But I guess yeah. it's, it, is on, it is on you, isn't it? Whether yeah, you I suppose not. it is. And I think what, what David's saying there is, is right. And like he doesn't really like to talk about it, but... When there's a chance of making a big fight and a huge payday and a real chance of glory, then yeah, you, I suppose you do anything to try and get you. that. You've and got to, yeah. Yeah, there's, but there's there's other instances where it happens and sparring footage was released and guys taking liberties and sparring yeah, and stuff yeah, and, and yeah. That, that's wrong, completely wrong, yeah. but it happens. It happens mm. in this game. Always, yeah. um, so the, the kind of, the, the following two or three years, um, your kind of mixed results came on stuck against Christian Hammer, but you weren't in any sort of shape really going yeah, into that fight, yeah, were you? Yeah, no, I weren't. I was like, I think I weighed in 19 stone 10, but yeah. the, the, the thing at that time for me was, um, I wasn't happy in me, in me surroundings. I was training up in Rotherham with Dave Colwell 
and I weren't happy up there. It's as simple as that. I didn't, I didn't enjoy being away from home. I, didn't, I weren't really enjoying the, the mood in the gym um, at that time because Dave didn't want me to take the fight. But because I weren't happy, I couldn't really, in my mind, I couldn't really face the thought of carrying on going up there for a further six to eight weeks if I postponed the fight. Mm. So I thought, I'm going to take the fight and I'm going to win. You know, I'll take that. I thought I'd, I thought I'd win. Um, but I, I think I'd spent four, four full weeks up there with him. Other than that, I was at home training myself. Um, and, and I lost. And then at that point, I was ready to call it a day. Then I was ready. I was like, you know what? I don't really want to do it anymore. Um, if it's going to be me and me being not happy. So I took a few months off and, and was in a boxer for a few months. And I didn't half enjoy it. Really enjoy yeah. it. Just not having to think about boxing. And I was like, this is great. But then, truth be told, my bank balance just started dropping and dropping. And I was like, mm, I can't really do anything else. I haven't planned for this. Mm. You know, I haven't got anything in place. So I'm going to have to get the gloves back on, which it is. And I'm, and I'm glad I did because I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy in, in day to day and everything else. And I've had a couple of big fights, you know, and, and my name's still out there. And, you know, things are going pretty well. <clears throat> the fans on, on social media and, and Twitter is really a thing in boxing that, it's changed the game a little bit in the yeah, last four yeah. or five years. You can instantly gauge public opinion on fighters, on performances, on on anything really, on potential matchups. You're somebody that, after those first couple of high-profile losses, given the hype that was around you up until those losses, you had a lot of flack from fans. And I'm guessing that's something that you know we're kind of used to as as people now because we see it all the time. But yeah. that was quite new to everyone. How yeah. did that affect you when you were reading those kind of messages? Yeah, well. I didn't keep reading them for too long and, and the only other way I'm aware of them is if, say, like you tell me or you might say, getting loads of stick on that Twitter. Why just tag you an Alan Partridge? Yeah, yeah. But I'll have fellas coming up to me in the gym and say, like, oh, you get some stick on that Twitter, you don't you? And I'm like, do I? Mm. I, don't, don't, I don't need it, to be honest. And that's why I stay off it because although there's probably a lot of positive things that are getting said to me, I'd rather just be in my own little world yeah. and not, not having to leave people... I've always said if if someone's got something to say that they wouldn't say to you face to face, then I don't want to hear it. Um, and I got a lot of it, and I think some of it might have been down to a bit, maybe a bit of frustration because a lot of the people who were probably giving me stick were probably supporting me at first and and hoping I'd go on and do what they were promised I'd be getting be getting done, and they might have been a bit disappointed and frustrated. So they, I mean, look, I, I, I I'm probably the same with football. I mean, I love Liverpool now, but if they lose on Friday for a short period of time, I'll be, like, disappointed in them mm. and frustrated. So it's just the way humans work, but Twitter gives people a platform to, to fire it into you. And, you know, I, I, me or Carl, maybe not you, but I could read something and go, say, say something really offensive to me or, or a bit horrible. And it'll stick with me for at least a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. But the same people who've noted will just drift off in their own day and completely forget, forget about it. it. Yeah. So it has changed boxing, definitely, for, for the better. You know, it's definitely changed it for the better. You don't have to look at, like, the way Eddie Ayn operates on it. He fights are made on Twitter yeah. in, in a day or so. Um, but but the, the criticism got to me early, earlier on. Like, it definitely got to me. Um, it was so unexpected, wasn't it, I suppose? Yeah, it did get to me. I, I'd be lying, I'd be lying if, it, if I said it didn't, but now I'm at the point where... I don't see it, but even if it is, I don't think it is. 
I don't think it bother me. Because you're quite good. You sometimes will will have a bit of banter and bite back at somebody. But you do it in a kind of funny way, yeah. and you have a yeah. and you get you get a lot of like I was someone I just want to I suppose lucky enough I got a lot of like praise and stuff. For example, if you want to compare me to another boxer in my weight, when I fought Scott Quigg, like the abuse that he took online, it was it was mm. horrendous, mm. and I wasn't really getting that. Um, but you see, you know, when you when you have a few losses or whatever, I've had a few losses since that fight. Um, it just changes, and you still get people who support you, and they're positive, and 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 they will support you for as long as you continue. But you get you get a lot of clowns just coming mm. out, and then if you actually and this is probably sad on my part, but someone that gives you grief, I would often go on to their, their Twitter and have a look through what they're saying. And mm. it's just constant grief to different to people. everybody, yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a wee bit sad for me to no, actually go to that extent and look at it. But It's more sad that they do that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's embarrassing, isn't it, that someone has to try and make themselves feel better about themselves by giving other people negativity because that's all it's for really if you, from a psychological point you feel of view good about yourself yeah, right it's making them it's trying to make them feel better about themselves and it's sad it's sad on their part early isn't it you can imagine yeah. them I just called him a dickhead yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why it is tempting to bite a lot of the time and I've gone mm. no because this is what he wants because they'll yeah. send it to the mates and say look he's bit he said this mm. and that um, but you know it's all uh it's all, it's all just just words on a phone at the end of the day. I, yeah. I try not to block too many people as well. Again, yeah, you because them, they get they get satisfaction. Yeah, you get the it's satisfaction. Like a, yeah. a medal nearly yeah. if someone. Oh, he's blocked me. Yeah, yeah. Show yeah. the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, it's yeah. stupid. It's crazy. Um, I guess your uh, your mindset then changes when you have like a few high profile losses. That the O is then no longer a big thing to yeah. you. It's it's okay. I am who I am now. I've had these yeah. defeats. People yeah. have seen maybe my my strengths, my vulnerabilities, and. I know certainly in the last 18 months, two years, you've enjoyed things yeah. a lot more because there's, the, the pressure's been lifted off you, the yeah, expectation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know you've teamed up with Joe McNally, who we saw in the gym when we came in earlier. Yeah. Um, how did you get to, to meet him and, and what's the kind of setup been like with, with Joe? It's been good, yeah. We will, I've known him since we were kids through, through the boxing scene. He was here, I was in the trolley. Um, but it was just a chance meeting on um, Stephen Smith's stag do when I beat her. When I was retired, well, I was saying at that time in my mind I was retired and I spoke to him and he, he, he kind of, I just had a conversation with him when you know someone knows what to talk about when it comes to boxing. And he, he said, I'm training lads now in um, Terry Matthews gym. He said, come down and have a little go. You, should, you need to carry on type of thing. And that was it. Didn't get mentioned again. And I bumped into him again. Uh, or in the car somewhere, and I just said, "Yeah, I'll come in," and that, and that was it, really. But uh, the way the way things are with with me and Joe is that he's he's a younger man than me, but the boxer trainer relationship is there for all to see. He's the boss, he's in charge, and mm. and we're mates outside the gym. But you know, I, um, I've got, got a lot of respect and a lot of, a lot of time given. He's got the authority in the gym, so it's a good balance, really. And he's he's a similar type of person to me. We're on the same wavelength, you know. Mm. So. It's, 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 they always say a trainer and a fighter have got a gel on a personal level, and uh, I think, and that, that's what that's what we have. Yeah, it's taken a little bit of time for us as a boxing community to accept the new wave of young trainers coming yeah. through. You've obviously worked with two of the best of them um, to, to date in, in Shane and Jamie, um, but those performances speak for themselves. Whether it's Ben Davidson, Tyson Fury, or yourself against Nonito Donaire, um, even the way you box against Alexander Povetkin, it's very hard for people to to, to keep denying that. 
this this new school of thought and this new way of thinking yeah. is as good as the old school because people are very stuck in their ways. Nah, of school. course, you, are. People, you you imagine you talk to someone outside boxing, you you talk to them about a boxing coach, and they think of Mickey out of the Rocky films, yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot of them still like that. And yeah. we're still a sport that's catching up with other sports, and it's kind of um, behind the times a bit, and and everything like nutrition, S and C. Um, lifestyle outside boxing as well yeah. but it's it's taken the kind of younger generation of coach I think to, to realise that boxers are professional athletes and they need to behave like them and live like them and, and do what other professional athletes are doing in different sports so mm. it's good to see that there's young talent coming through you know guys like Ben Davison who's I don't know how old he is he's, he's late 20s, 20, late 20s yeah. I'd say yeah, yeah. yeah and you know he can he could be a boxer if he wanted, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, he's but he's, he's decent, decent, isn't he? He's well, he, he was. Um, he used to come up to Sheffield when when I was with Colwell, and he was training Tom Little at the time. Mm. And I just knew, I could just tell he, he had it as a coach. Um, and then obviously left Tom, done a bit with Billy Joel. I think he cornered Billy Joel once, and Billy Joel went in shape, mm. and he got a terrible time for it, Ben. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to admit to something here. I think I said something on Twitter, yeah. and I got a wee bit of stick for it. Yeah. When he was doing, the, he was in the corner, and this is kind of a bit contradictory, but <laughs> it was like I think give. Well, I did. I said something like there was I felt like there was no urgency. Billy Joe was like blown out yeah. his ass, and the yeah, fact yeah, he wasn't yeah, in yeah. shape. And Jimmy Tim Tibbs had just got the boot, and Ben. It was the first time mm. I'd seen him, and he was in the corner, and. I remember just thinking there needs to be some sort of fucking urgency here from yeah, the trainer, yeah. but it was explained afterwards that Billy Joe wasn't fit. Ben knew he wasn't fit. He wasn't in shape, and that's why he wasn't kind of pushing him out to like empty the tank and around, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. him through. Yeah. So I apologise that now <laughs> live on you go, uh, Ben. You heard it's it. Such a big podcast. man, need to apologise. Yeah. Um, you've actually been in that position. I know going into the Sogo Kuzmin fight, you, you yeah. kind of weren't exactly where you needed to be. It was short no, notice. And, uh, and and you and Joe had a quite a specific conversation yeah, about yeah, yeah. if yeah. you started losing your shape. I started losing my shape. And, it, and if, if the, the problem with my arm flares up, Joe just told me. There was an argument about even taking the fight. He didn't want me to take the fight. I, I wanted to take the fight for my own reasons. Um, but, but the priority on his side was that the fight previous... Uh, you know, it was a fight which I lost by knockouts and was getting brain scans after the fight type of thing. Avoid that at all costs. Um, but the frustrating thing for me was when I was in there, I knew that if I would have been prepared, I could have I think would have beat him, no problem. But uh, I don't regret it because, you know, it, I, got, I got a fight off the back of it and now another fight against Cash Alley and then I get another fight. So... If I hadn't took that, I was going to fight on a show in Belfast, an MTK show against God knows it. We still didn't even find an opponent, and I was struggling with motivation in the gym. So, mm. who knows where it'd have been? Um, might have been a bit of a bit of a blessing, you know, in disguise. I was talking to Darren Barker last week about your fight against Povetkin, mm. and he said, "How unlucky to think that the shot that he caught you with, kind of." You know, you dropped your arms on your feet because it stunned I was out you. on my feet. Yeah. You were, and yeah, then he had yeah. a free shot. And, yeah. and when you stunned him, he fell back. He, he did the backstroke about ten feet into if the corner, he, and yeah. that saved him. Yeah, if he's a fell, if he's just wobbled forward, and you'd have had a free right hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, and again, it's ifs and buts, but <laughs> it's probably you know I, I do believe um, in fate a little bit, and, and it's, it's led me to where I am now. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, it would have been great to have beaten him on the night, but. I, I had to just let go of any, um, 
you know, if only after it, I just let them go straight away because I would have been lying in bed at night, frustrated every night, mm. you know. Um, we are going to do 32-second challenge with 32 reds. Uh, this is word association, David, so I'm going to read you out a list of words and uh, you're going to say <laughs> the first thing that comes into your head. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. That's all right, you're allowed to swear. We're fine. Oh, yeah. uh, so 32-second challenge with David Price with 32 red. You ready? Go on. Liverpool. Great. Beijing. Okay. Uh, David Ingleby. Office feet. Beating Tyson Fury then? Good. Beating Tyson Fury now? Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Salisbury ABC? Great. ESPN Prospect of the Year? Me. Tony Thompson? Cheat. Cash Ali? Biter. <laughs> Povetkin? Oh, lucky. Anthony Joshua's chin? Sturdy. Uh, Jurgen Klopp? Wim Hof. And can Liverpool win uh, the league this year? Yes. Do you know what Wim Hof is, by the way? Go on. Yes. Yeah. Is it the breathing technique? Wim Hof is the breathing technique. Yeah, but... Do you know why I know this? You do it. Steve... No, no, no. Stephen Ward has been researching Wim Hof because he's seen a video of Lomachenko holding his breath for like four yeah, minutes underwater. Yeah. No way. So he says... It was like a 200 pound bat then that I've let him off with because he's skimmed. But he says he can do it. He can do it for, he started at four minutes, said he can do three minutes. He yeah. can't, he's done like a minute and a half. Well, <laughs> but he's practicing this yeah. Wim Hof thing. Well, Jürgen Klopp reminds me of Wim Hof a little bit. Wim Hof's this, um, he's <laughs> a cool touch fella. He's created this breathing technique, which is meant to be good for various reasons. But I, I spoke to you, um, what, September, was the middle yeah. of summer last year. I was having, I was having a few, a few problems started one of someone told me to do this Wim Hof breathing technique I've done it nearly every day since since December it's unbelievable it? like, but what, what it does do for me it's like a meditation so everyone's getting into this type of thing meditation and mindfulness and things like that for, for your for your mental health type of thing so I started doing it and it's it's literally just breathing deeply in and out but it gives you like a, a light, floaty sensation at the end of it when you're holding your breath. And it's, it, you'd have to read up on it. It's brilliant. Russell Brand. Take a Adam poppers. On. No, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's one for the other podcast as well. <laughs> so, so Russell Brand's, uh, Joe Rogan's had him on. Russell Brand's had him on. And he, he's big on uh, cold therapy. So right. getting in cold showers for as long as you can. Yeah. Doing all that. But what it, what it does do as well, it, it, at the end of it, if, you, if people struggle to meditate, if you just get told, go and meditate, you're suffering with anxiety, whatever, people can't do because the mind's talking. This short culture to the meditation. So the last three months I've been like a bit, bit of a spiritual guy, you know. It's quality. <laughs> David Price the guru, I like well, it. Well, not, not quite yet, but, you know, maybe one day. Well, listen, mate, we want to wish you all the best for the rest of this year. Maybe yeah. you and Dave Allen on the cars, we'll just wait and see. But um, yeah, pleasure, yeah. pleasure to have you cheers. on, mate. Yeah. Um, Carl, cheers as well. And thank you for watching At Home. This has been TKO Round 12, done and dusted on Joe, together with 32 Red. Make sure to check out our other episodes, Anthony Crawler, David Hay, Chris Eubank, and many more. And we'll catch you again in seven days' time with this man. Hi, I'm Jamie Carragher, and next week I'll be on TKO with Carl and Chris. You've been listening to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red.